Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk about one of our favorite subjects. It's how to read a soil test. If you've got any questions about that or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the agphd mailbag a little later in the show. Or you can find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so soil testing. First of all, before we talk about this reading a soil test, um, how you take the samples makes an enormous difference. Let me just put it this way. If you're doing composite testing, I'm going to encourage you, please try some without composites. Okay, so here's what composite testing is. If let's say you've got a 160-acre field and you're going to walk around the field, pull a bunch of soil cores, mix them together, and send it in, and it's one sample, that's composite testing. If you break that, uh, that field up into, let's say, eight zones that are 20 acres each, honestly... I, th- I still think you're composite testing. I don't think your zones are small enough. I really don't. And here's the way you can prove this out. Just do it on a field this fall if you don't believe me. Try whatever method you've been using in the past and then do it our way. And the our way is, and you don't have to do one acre grids, but at least do two or two and a half acre grids. But I'd prefer if you do one. Do one acre grids on one field. Again, I'm not saying you do it on, you don't have to do it on everything, but do it on one field because here's the thing. What we always talk to you about is test stuff out on a small scale and see if it pays. I'm not doing, we're not doing one acre grids on our farm just for fun. Like, you know what would be a great thing for a bunch of these yeah, we just, uh, interns we don't have much, we don't have much kids, to do, so uh, let's, let's just go yeah. out and pull thousands of samples yeah. here. Yeah, just do it for fun and, and spend, spend a bunch of money. That, that sounds, let, let's do that. Come on. We're not doing that. We tried it out on a small scale, and we kept trying it out a little bigger, a little bigger scale, a little bigger. And eventually it's like, huh, we're getting some pretty awesome data here. And it's much more variable out in the field than we thought. It is. And every field of ours was that way. And I don't care if the field was flat, hilly. It was sandy, it was heavy. It didn't matter. We had lots of variability out there. And that's why we like one-acre grids. And not only that, but when you do it, here's how you do it. You go to a point, and it's got to be a GPS point. Because we want repeatability, and we also want you to be able to match up your yields to your soil test results. That is powerful information. So you have to use a GPS point. That's the only way you should ever soil test, seriously. Even if you were doing a composite test, the only way is this way. Okay, so in my opinion. And again, the reason why we want this, repeatability, so you can always go back to that same spot. And number two, it's so you can match that spot and those soil tests now to yield. And the more you can chart that out on your farm, you will see for yourself the most important things on the soil test. Like on our farm, it was plain as day where we had more potassium, we had more yield period. That was one of the biggest factors on our farm. And we could also see things like our phosphorus to zinc ratio. Well, when that got way off, it hurt yield. I wouldn't have known that if we wouldn't have soil tested 
this exact way. So you go to a GPS spot, you jump out of your vehicle, you pull two or three cores on each side of the vehicle, done, bam, send it in, you got your test. That's it. Okay, so let's talk about when you get those results back. The most important thing you always first is soil pH. That is crucial, not only for your yield, but also just for your soil life, soil health, long term. How is your soil going to do? If that pH is down in the fours or if it's nine, there's something wrong. And you're not headed down a good path. So we want to take a look at, okay, what is going wrong? Let's figure that pH thing out. Also, if you're going to do pH adjustment ever, and I don't care if it's lime on the low pH side or elemental sulfur or something else on the high pH side, you want to be precise because if you put lime in the wrong places, that's bad news. We did on our farm. We screwed it up. Cost us a whole bunch of money. Yield went down. And then what did we have to do? Well, we had to go fix it. So then we had to put elemental sulfur on. And so we spent we spent, we spent, and we had less yield. That's fun. So you, you really want to have small grids or zones whenever you're going to do soil pH correction. All right? That's absolutely crucial. It will make you money. you got to do that. All right, so you take a look at the pH, and ideally we're looking for the sixes. Now, it does make a difference which crop you're raising. So, for example... In our tests, we've actually found that soybeans are still not doing too bad, even when the pH is in the fives. And I know we don't want that. It's not ideal. But in our tests, it it really has not been bad at all. And we've studied this for a period of years. However, we also raised some alfalfa on our farm. And I will promise you, if you have uh, soil pH in the fives, you're getting crushed on alfalfa tonnage. Just crushed. So you've got to get the pH up if you're raising alfalfa. So it does make a little bit of difference where um, you want that pH, depending on the crop and the crop rotation that you're in. Okay, So that can be a big deal. But anyway, beyond that, everybody wants to focus on NP and K, and I get that, and I do too. But there certainly are other things that we want you to look at. Take a look at sulfur. Look at your magnesium, the micronutrients. There are a lot of things on the soil test and a couple of tests that many soil tests do not have done. So Darren and I literally get tests every day. I mean, we've gotten several today already from people. And things that we need on there that we sometimes don't see is the base saturation test. That'll tell you the percentage of nutrients like potassium, calcium, magnesium, hydrogen, sodium in the soil. And speaking of sodium, we don't see sodium on the test very often. And soluble salts. Uh, excess lime is another thing we do like seeing from time to time. So, I mean, there are there's a lot more to get into this. And we're going to do that right after this. When it comes to combines, capacity and cost keep going up. So if you aren't the largest farm in the county, how do you achieve the high harvesting efficiency of the big operations while still keeping costs in check? Start by checking out the Kloss Trion 740. The latest Kloss Combine delivers high reliability, low maintenance, gentle threshing, and surprising efficiency. The Kloss Trion 740. Learn more at kloss.com. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. 
I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure us. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about reading a soil test and how important that is for your farm. If you have an agronomic question for us, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us radio at agphd.com. Got John Leaf on with us right now with AgroLiquid. John, how you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? We're doing well, too. You know, every time I talk to some agroliquid and I say, all right, where do we start on fixing this problem? The first phrase I hear is, well, let's get a good soil test out there. Let's let's figure out what's going on in the soil. And when I talk to farmers, there's still a lot of farmers that say, I'm not super confident reading all the things on a soil test. Do you feel like it's that complicated, John, or, or how long do you think it takes uh, for a farmer to learn this? Well, I... Uh anything's complicated that you've never seen before, right? And if you get 10, uh, 10 fields on a single page, that can be a little overwhelming. But uh, it, it really doesn't take all that long to uh, get an idea of, you know, how to break down a soil test report. What are the values that uh, are good and what are ones that uh, need to be addressed? Uh, it does take some, some training and some practice, but uh, it's something that, uh, that every grower should be able to do and really should do uh, so that they can uh, understand the fertility issues in their field and uh, and spend their fertility money wisely. Well, there are some really smart farmers out there. In fact, almost every farmer out there has got to be pretty smart just to do all the different jobs that we're doing from being a mechanic to managing a business to grain marketing to, to reading soil tests and, and setting up crop protection programs for their fields. So there's there's a lot to learn here. Uh, when you look at soil tests, John, what are some of the things that you'd say, okay, uh, let's just start with a few basics here that you really need to understand these first. What would they be? Well, I, I go through a bit of a progression. I always start with soil pH, and and that's uh, the most common answer I get when I talk to people about uh, where do they start with a soil test. And a, and a soil pH is an indication of the overall chemistry balance in the soil. So if there's a C, uh, 
pH that's low, for example. I'll then go to the um, base saturation uh, area of the soil test to see what those values are. If there's low calcium and high hydrogen, then that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then uh, I also look at uh, cation exchange capacity so that I know what kind of soil I'm dealing with, how much nutrient holding capacity it has, and if, uh, if we do need to make some changes uh, in the chemistry of the soil, the base saturation uh, components of the soil, uh, gives me an idea of how much we're going to have to use in order to make those corrections. So, and then from there, um, yeah, I finish looking at the base saturation uh, area to make sure that the, uh, the potassium is addressed. Uh, potassium and calcium are often the two that I have uh, uh, to deal with most of the time. And then I can look at um, phosphorus, potassium, and then uh, if, uh, if you've gotten a complete soil test, uh, looking at the micronutrients and the sulfur uh, rounds out that, uh, that process for me. You know, sometimes we, we have farmers that are just learning how to do this, and they say, oh, man, I got a lot of problems in my field. That doesn't mean they all have to be fixed immediately. It doesn't mean you can't feed the crop well and, and have a very successful crop the very next year. Uh, I know at AgriLiquid you work on that a lot of, okay, here's what we can do to, to build the soil long term. Here's what we can do to feed the crop now with highly available nutrition. So I guess I don't want anyone to feel like, man, my soil is terrible. I, I can't do this. No, you can. You can do it even in year one by feeding that crop right. What are a couple of things you'd do if you said, okay, I got a soil. There's It's going to cost me a lot to fix it, uh, but I could just feed my crop. How, how would you go about doing that? Well, you would take a look at uh, all those same things that uh, that I just described and figure out, you know, what are the deficiencies? What are the things that you have going for you? And then we can uh, target crop nutrition, be it either phosphorus and potassium uh, as two of the principal ones that we uh, like to, to work on to, to make sure that we feed the crop an adequate amount with, uh, you know, our pro-germinator for phosphorus or or calibrate for uh, for potassium, and, uh, and but we also you know really encourage people to uh, at least start on uh, on trying to fix issues. You know if you don't have the the resources to fix it all at once, or if it's just too big of a problem, start small. Get uh, get some of those uh, uh, things started to be addressed, and then we can take a look at uh, feeding that crop. And again. Uh, at planting in, in corn and soybeans, uh, uh, the progerminator, sure K, and then micronutrients, that is a, a hugely important part of, uh, of crop nutrition, and we can, uh, we can supplement the, uh, uh, the micronutrients that, uh, that the crops need uh, based on that soil test information as well. Yeah, I got a friend that just picked up some ground and all the micros are in bad shape. And it's like, uh-oh, what do I do here? Well, let's look at micro 1000. Let's see what we can do here with uh, feeding the crop this year. And then we can start building stuff up over time. Because, yeah, it's definitely an investment to have your soil in great shape. John, thank you so yes, much. Really is. appreciate appreciate all the tips. Uh, always enjoy talking with you. I look forward to getting together down the road. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Let's head up to North Dakota. Got Eric Mares on with us who farms and does some crop consulting up there as well. How you doing, Eric? 
Hey, good. How are you? Pretty good. All right. So we're talking about reading a soil test today with with all the guys that you work with. Um, what do you find as some of the challenges with that? Are there certain things? Is it the parts per million on a test? Is it just that there's so much information? What What are some of the things that cause guys to say, oh, man, I don't know, it looks complicated? Well, I guess in the last, I don't know, five to seven years, we've tried to focus on just starting with the pH since that's where it, that's where it all starts with uh, – you know, the crops responding better at, in a certain pH range. And then uh, one thing we also seem to struggle with is the percent uh, potassium in the base saturation. It seems like that's typically on the low side with, with more of a corn bean rotation that we've been pulling off decent yields in the last, last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, the high yields is... It's a wonderful thing, <laughs> but oh my goodness, when you actually look at the crop removal rates for high-yielding corn and high-yielding soybeans, you're right. They pull a lot of P and K out, and we've got to put that back. And you know, it's one of those things you have to look at: is hey, I had this this uh, gross margin, but removal of fertilizer is definitely one of those things that has to figure back in as a cost. So yeah, building that K back up is a struggle for, for some guys, especially if it's been a while since someone's really addressed that. Uh, you mentioned the pH too, and I know you've got some fields in your area that aren't the best drained. And, and I've actually been on your farm as you guys have done some tiling that that's really made a difference. Yeah, we just started combining beans here on Sunday and started on a tiled field and it was also the first planted but that one's been our best one so far and and uh that one's also grid sampled and and things are coming around now that we that we started to address the ph with either lime or more more so with elemental sulfur or uh ams getting those phs in range and um yeah it's amazing what it can do when you start to get that ph in the right range where it should be you mentioned grid sampling, and that was going to be one of my questions, grid or zone. Uh, you know, as your grid sampling, it opens up the opportunity to do some more variable rate application. Are, are guys doing variable rate on about everything now, or are they just focusing on uh, those pH amendments at this point? Um, there's getting to be more and more every year. It's just so labor-intensive compared to a, um, a, you know, a composite test. But when you see what you can get out of a grid sample compared to a composite test, like why am I wasting my time composite sampling? But I mean, it, it, it does give you an indication of where you're at in the field. But I try and do a certain percent of my acres every year, new new acres every fall on one acre grids or two and a half acre grids. And yeah, it's really eye opening on fields where you didn't think you had low pH where you do, and then some fields where we, like you mentioned, we struggle with drainage. So then it's more than likely a high a high pH issue. Yeah, it's kind of kind of fun when you start addressing those things. So you can say, "Oh, well, here's what the real challenge is, and here's what I can do to fix that." Uh, and grid sampling does does certainly help along the way. Uh, Eric, I can tell you're busy. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck. Stay safe this harvest season. We're talking reading a soil test on today's Ag PhD Radio program. Stay tuned. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. 
But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. And Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about reading a soil test on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got our friend Kellen Huber on with Keltech Ag to talk a little about this. How you doing, Kellen? I'm doing really good. Praying for rain. Yeah, it seems like that's been the case for a while. We caught just a little bit of it, but... I, I was out in some fields. Yeah, it's a little damp in the top inch, but right underneath it, it's still powder dry. But um, I, I hope you guys catch some too. It'd be a good deal. Yeah, I know we could definitely use some moisture up here, especially when it comes to soil sampling, because right now we're taking a dealing with a lot of hard soils. And let's just say our little three-quarter inch soil probe doesn't like to go in the ground very good. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. We were having the same problem down here. Well, okay, let's talk about this. Once we get the sample pulled and we feel like, okay, we have good, accurate data that represents the area that we were pulling those samples from, 
Uh, talk to us about reading that test a little bit. I know you do a lot of sampling and, and the guys that you work with and, and make recommendations for, uh, you don't do it unless you've got a good soil sample. So what pieces of information are you getting off that? Well, the, the one thing that I kind of start off right away is a lot of things is pH, of course, but that's sitting down, you know, looking at base saturations and finding out what CEC that soil is. And then we've got to figure out after that what the customer wants to do with this soil sample, because that seems to be a bit of a struggle, too. And it's always exciting for me to look at the ratios of calcium to magnesium, because when we're talking hard soils, magnesium and sodium play a lot of factors in that. And what we, you know, like right now, we're coming through a big drought here that came through uh, the prairies in, in Canada here and getting water infiltration into that soil. So calcium, magnesium is the first things I kind of look at. Then the second thing I start going at is sodium, seeing where those factors are. Because without water, without oxygen into the soil, we're not going to get a lot of microbiology going, nutrient availability to plants. So I want to see what the structure's like. And up here, we have a lot of CECs that are fairly high, you know, 44, 38, you know, 29. Sounds like uh, most times it sounds like a land location, but... Uh, yeah, they're, they're up there. So those are the first things that I started looking at, Darren, is how can we make things more active? How can we make nutrient more available? There's a lot of talk about soil health, and you bring up a great point. If we balance things out in our soil, especially with calcium and magnesium, and we get uh, pore space in the soil and more oxygen to be in that soil, we're bound to have more success with our crops and, and better plant health or better soil health as well because we'll be able to have all those aerobic microbes in the soil working for us. One problem in the way, though, is sodium, and you mentioned that. We've talked to more farmers this fall that have got a sodium issue out there in, in spots on their farm. That one seems to be a tough one to fix. Oh, it definitely is, and it seems to be the slot, the silent uh, killer, I hate to say it. Sodium plays a lot of factors, again, when you're talking potassiums, again, when you're talking about microbiologies, micronutrients, sodium sneaks up on us. And how do we deal with sodium? Well, how i traditionally been dealing with it is, first of all, let's figure out on the soil test, where is your sodium numbers? Where's your sulfur numbers? And I just had a conversation to, with a guy this morning from Manitoba, and he's kind of struggling a little bit. He's trying to grow some soybeans. He's struggling with his corn. And, and I says, oh, what's the relationship between your sulfur and your sodium? And he says, oh, geez, my sodium's about 382 parts per million, and my sulfate is looking at about 423 ppm. We're going, whoa, hold it here a second. You got sodium sulfate going on there, my friend. Well, how can that be? And where did it come from? You know, so when you re it, when calcium comes out of the soil, magnesium and sodium tend to take its position. And if we don't look at those factors fairly closely, that can sneak up onto us, especially when it comes to potassium. If we get too much of, because potassium and sodium are both salts. 
So sometimes we'll find really elevated potassium levels in fields and we're kind of going, ooh, hold on a second. You know, let's have a look at that correlation. And I, I start explaining things to guys like um, the Mulder's mineral chart. And it's kind of like, eh, what's talking about? And I says, well, it's the interactions and what drives everything forward. So the one things I really want to look at all the time to help reduce sodium um, I just put a video out on TikTok here not very long ago and Facebook and I was talking about tillage and I was talking about sodium because this was another guy and he was like 450 parts sodium on this little chunk of soil and he's struggling to grow barley. And so we went out with a compaction tester and we started looking at things and going, hmm, you know, we're sitting at 200 PSI, roots start to... Um, uh, uh, go in different, it deflects in different directions and about 300 per, uh, PSI, then water doesn't start going into the soil. This stuff was coming in at eight, 900 PSI, extremely, extremely hard. And we took the soil after we went over it with a tillage unit and we poked up the soil and you can literally see the sodium um, particles in the soil. And it really had a foul smell to it. So, in this particular situation, we looked at his calcium, we looked at his sodium, and what we were finding is that, yeah, he's really low on calcium, really high on mag, and we're, we we got to take and put some more calcium into there. It's the easy option that we're doing right now to get ROI. You know, we're not going to correct everything, but we want to get some things moving and I just kind of want to say, you know, uh, guys like uh, Warren Buffett said, if you're not out there managing and checking what's going on, how can you make good decision making? So there's a lot of people in Canada that still don't soil sample because they get scared of the number, as your earlier columns say. But sodium is one of those things. It's a binding agent in every fertilizer that's out there. So we really got to take and try and get porosity in the soil, get that water moving through the soil profile. And, you know, and sometimes we have to go deeper. Like we've seen a lot of soils up here that we have compaction 24 inches deep, like seven, 800 PSI all the way down. Like it's concrete. So we have to try and get everything works from the top down. So we got to make sure that that sodium level at the top is reduced and try and drive it down into the soil profile is what we're trying to do. But calcium, sulfur, gypsum, you know, a lot of those things all help for remediating sodium and, you know, also creates better carbons in the soil. And we've been using humic acids. And let me tell you guys, I've been trying a lot of different things and, you know, we're seeing some really good results as time goes on. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into just the overall management of soil. We're talking with Kellen Huber here with Keltech Ag. You can hear the passion in his voice and also the experience <laughs> from uh, having turned around some tough soils. And you mentioned one thing here too, Kellen, that uh, compaction, what a big issue that can be. And a lot of times we're seeing compacted areas that, wow, why am I getting these nutrients that are held up in my soil? Why am I seeing uh, 400 parts per million of sulfur out here, sulfate, sulfur. Well, we've got a drainage issue or we've got a compaction issue or we've got both. And so you may learn more things from the soil test than just which nutrients to apply to feed the next crop. Hey, Kellen, we got to run, but really appreciate having you on once again. And, and good luck to you guys up there. Hopefully you catch a rain soon. 
Yes, we hope uh, the rain, Mother Nature is going to give us some rain, and hopefully this uh, frost that's coming here on Thursday night doesn't get too uh, harsh on things. So once again, thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks, Kellen. Talking about reading a soil test on today's Ag PhD radio program, and we also do classes that are free to attend. You can check out our Ag PhD upcoming events at agphd.com. If you'd like to to catch one of those, that would be great. You can sign up for the Ag PhD Insider Magazine. We put out articles uh, on a bi-monthly basis, and a lot of those articles may be right around some of these topics we're discussing today with reading a soil test. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about that right after this. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. From the moment the first seed is in the ground, your days until harvest are numbered. Each day, every decision leads to your bottom line. So when it comes to harvest, rely on the only combine built to deliver the numbers you deserve. The Kloss Lexion gives you the quality, efficiency, reliability, and precision that make every minute count. Go ahead, let the numbers drive you with a Lexion Combine built by Kloss. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at Farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. You've done it, your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag 
is about to begin. It is the Ag PhD mailbag time here on Ag PhD Radio. You can send your questions in by email, radio at agphd.com, or you can call in 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from Kurt over in Northern Illinois with dark soils and 20 plus CECs, so heavier ground. So we've been growing great crops with 230 and 70 bushel five-year averages on our corn and beans. We've gone away from side dressing corn and to all liquid with, with our chemistry just prior to planting. Typically a total of about 160 pounds in. My thought with continuing dry weather would there be a benefit applying 100 pounds of nitrogen as anhydrous this fall to get some nitrogen down deeper in the soil. The balance in the spring would be applied as usual. Of course, is the ground too dry to apply? In Illinois, I doubt it. But uh, um, anyway, we farm in very dry conditions. And granted, there are people that farm in much drier areas than us. But yeah, you have to have some moisture to put anhydrous out but I, I'm not I, I, I still don't know exactly why uh, why you're looking to put some out now D- deeper is not a problem with nitrogen nitrogen works its way down so it's gonna get deeper if you want to put some out in the fall and especially only 100 pounds I, I don't have any problem with that I don't I don't really find any fault with that as long as you're yeah, going to plant early in the spring in northern and you apply Illinois you're going to freeze right yeah, well yeah you just you have to wait until the soil temp gets cooler but as long as you do that I I don't I yeah I don't I don't have any big issue with that now here's the next thing that I want to challenge you with and challenge your thinking just a little bit and and quite frankly for everybody today I, and here, here's there, there. There's a book. Let's see. I think it was uh, Collins. It was it Jim Collins that wrote "Good to Great"? Yes. Where basically it's once things are good, it's hard to push yourself further to truly be great. Because uh, yeah, is 230 bushel corn and 70 bushel beans is that good? It absolutely is. Nothing to be ashamed of. You should be making money. Awesome. But here's what I want you to think about. Okay, I just told you about our situation in South Dakota, and I just want you to ask yourself honestly, do you think that you have better soil than us? You probably do. Do you have more rainfall consistently than us? Absolutely you do. Our yield averages in the last few years are similar to yours. What I'm saying is, and not not that we're doing great or you should be doing better, anything else, I'm simply saying... um, if I have less rainfall and I'm still getting similar yields, what sh- what should that tell you? That there are more things we can control. And this is exactly why we wanted to talk about soil testing today, because a lot of it comes back to what are we doing for nutrients? When are we applying them? How much are we applying? Things like that. And I'm all for continuing to experiment and you know just keep pushing things. Try it on a small scale and go from there. So anyway, yeah, uh, um, I got no problem with you trying some nitrogen this fall. Anhydrous sounds just fine to me. 
All right. Uh, thanks for the question. I got this one that came in from PD out in Idaho who said, I think your concerns that you've got about desiccation and seed production are valid. And you were talking about desiccation the other day. Yeah. Uh, so, in somebody's sunflowers. Well, this was, yeah, this was, wasn't it just yesterday? Yep. And I said, I'm, I'm scared to death of desiccation all the time, mainly because it's hard to get that timing right. So you don't kill something that shouldn't be killed yet. And if it's a seed crop, we've very much worry about hurting seed germination, and I will never recommend desiccation if it's something that's going for seed, if it's me. Now, if it's the seed company telling you to do something, whatever, that's their deal. Yeah. But I'm just saying as an agronomist, I'm scared to death of that. Go ahead. Well, they do. They do do that. And uh, so the question here is that I do think it's a tool, desiccation, that's sometimes needed if you have challenging long-season parental lines. So what are your concerns for seed sweet corn uh, if it might not have a, or what are your thoughts on desiccation? I should say on seed sweet corn that might not have a black layer. Uh, also, you mentioned variability through the field from hilltops to low ground. Do you use satellite imagery or crop imaging tools to make harvest maps or prescriptions to spray? Definitely, we're looking at that for harvesting on silage, for example. Yeah, and definitely for scouting and trying to figure out okay, where do we have problems, and let's go out there during the course of the season. That's where the, the that's the biggest advantage to satellite imagery in our operation is you can see it in advance. Oh, hey, this area looks bad. Let's go out there and find out what the heck's going on. Sure, it could just be a soil type, but maybe it's a tile line that's got a problem. Maybe it's weeds, insects, diseases. I don't know. I just know that there's a problem there. Now we have to go figure it out. Okay, so if you're going to spray something to his question before it's black layered, um, that's not good. You know for a fact that's hurting yield, and you know that that's got to have some negative impact on germination and vigor and everything else going into the next year. So, yeah, that scares me to death. And, I mean, sometimes a frost comes early, and this is exactly what happens. And this is part of why germination may be bad or vigor may be bad. And sometimes you just say, yep, this seed is no good, and we dump it. So I, I'm just I'm concerned. So. Again, I don't, I don't, if you're listening, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying desiccation can't and shouldn't ever be used. I'm simply saying, as an agronomist and as a farmer, I'm just absolutely scared to death of it because I'm afraid I'm not going to maximize my yield, my profitability, my seed germination, whatever. And if anybody's doing it, I would just say, be cautious and careful and know what the heck you're doing because you could cost yourself a whole bunch of money. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Try, try a little bit different timing on a small scale and learn for yourself. But yeah, there's, there is potential there. I mean, there's potential on the good side. There's, there's certainly potential to lose as well. Okay. Uh, speaking about losing, let's talk about losing moisture from corn. Uh, Rick sent in this question. He says, Has anyone ever tried cutting the tops off corn stalks to see if this could help ears and kernels fill out more? Plus, if it rains, uh, it, it would help get more moisture to the ground. Not sure how corn stalks dry, but don't they dry from the bottom up? So the more moisture from the bottom of the plant and ground, the ears would pull from the lower half more. It may also help in drying fast. Uh, just curious if anyone's ever done that. Okay, a couple things I'll say, Rick. First of all, I have seen studies where they've removed the leaves above the ear of corn, and they've lost yield. Those leaves are important for filling out the kernels, well, wait, for test but, weight, for catching sunlight, late season, those yeah, types of but things. But isn't he saying after black layer? 
Or is he saying before black leather? Okay. I, I read it. Uh, I mean, as you said it, I just heard it as it's after black layer. Okay. Well, uh, that could be different when you're not feeding those kernels anymore, but he said it wouldn't help fill out the ear. So I'm assuming that meant earlier. So, yeah, I don't think so, Rick. I don't think that's going to help you. I think you need those leaves up there. But when you look at seed corn production, they do do uh, removal of the tassels and the upper portion of the plant. So, there, but they also yield 100 bushels instead of 200 or more like commercial corn. But granted, inbreds are a whole different deal. So, yeah, I don't know. You can try it out on a small scale and find out for yourself. You only have to have a few plants to be able to figure this one out. But I don't think that's going to help you. I really don't. I think I think it's going to be tough. All right. A couple comments on weeds here. This one came from Lou. He said you were talking about catchweed bed straw. My observation on catchweed bed straw, Lou says, is it's like Velcro. <laughs> Maybe that's where that idea came up with. Velcro uh, was developed after somebody ran into some catchweed hmm. bed straw. Yeah. You know, I don't know about that. It, it sure could be because I agree with you. That's exactly what I think of when I think of catchweed bed straw. It just sticks right to you. Uh, Lou also had another one. He said, uh, swamp smartweed. My, my question for you guys on swamp smartweed does this become more of a grassy weed every few years? It seems like in those same areas we have something that's pretty grassy that maybe doesn't no. look as much like a broadleaf. No. You know what, Luke or Lou? There, there are some different weeds, but no, uh, swamp smartweed doesn't have a, a grassy phase to it. But, but you're right. In some of those same areas, you're going to see uh, some grass dominant weeds depending on the year and the moisture conditions and so forth that that could grow up through where the swamp smartweed is but it's a perennial so it's going to come back the next year and thanks for the questions thanks for checking out our show too we'll dive into more of your questions right after this take your tillage to the next level with the insight universal tillage tool from mcfarland ag with more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. 
Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Last year's fertilizer cost too much. This year's fertilizer still costs too much. So maybe next year, ahem, maybe next year, instead of paying whatever the market dictates, you should find a new source. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the crop nutrients that are already in your soil so you can use less fertilizer and capture the yield you count on to turn a profit. I said to turn a profit. That's more like it. Learn more at sound.ag. Thanks for joining us today on Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Sammy from Alberta checked in, just said how much he enjoys the show. Hey, thanks, Sammy. Really appreciate that. And, of course, if you have any ideas for us or any questions, uh, you can always reach out and let us know that, too. Uh, speaking of Canada here, got one from CC who says, Hey guys, take a moment and remember the poor grain farmers of Canada who are condem- condemned to pay massive carbon taxes to dry their grain. Uh, I saw an analysis just actually just today that came out that said that carbon tax would cost farmers in Canada $978 million between now and 2030 just to dry their grain. Just the tax. Not, not a in addition to what it's actually going to cost them to dry the grain. So, wow, that's a pretty heavy tax on farmers. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that either. So hopefully that does get repealed. I know there's been bills uh, that have come forward. I, I guess I'm not as up to speed on this probably as, as everybody in Canada, but I've seen a lot of bills that just keep getting announced. And I think, oh, good, they've got that fixed. And then the next day I know a month later, all right, well, they're working on another one. And so good luck to you. Hopefully that Hopefully that changes because, yeah, I would think, Brian, if we had to pay a lot more money to dry our grain, we'd have to shorten up the maturities that we had and change our planting date and do a lot of things to try to make sure that crop finished up on time. Yeah, yep, we would. Otherwise, you do more things to have high moisture corn and uh, get that into livestock and things like that. Well, so, okay, yeah. the bin fan controls are nicer you know, as you come south, you've got a little more heat to work with, just warmer air. Yep. But that isn't always the case. I mean, it it can stay warm before we get snow flying up there in Canada. It can stay warm up there in the fall, warm enough anyway to try and dry the grain. But that's another option is bin fan controls. But, man, yeah, it's that's well, a tough deal. Yeah, but then you have to use electricity. And I don't know how, I, I don't know how the whole carbon tax works up there. I just know that I'm thankful that I don't have that, at least at this point. Yeah, well, good luck to you up there, CC. Thanks for the, the comment, too. Uh, get this one that came in from Adam. He said, I'm curious about soils workshops that you're going to do this winter. 
Uh, I see on your website you've posted your Ag PhD workshop that's free in January. Uh, just curious about Neil Kinsey. Is he coming back? Uh, what What do you know for details on that, or how soon will you have details out? Yeah, we'll have details out pretty soon, but it's going to be in late February. And let's see. I'll look up the dates here. Uh, it should be the 20th through the 22nd of February. Uh, I'll double check that here, but I'm 99% sure that's what it is. So, yeah, we've had Neil come in and do three-day seminars before, and we try to keep changing it up a little bit, bring some other guest speakers with him, uh, keep hitting some different topics. I mean, yes, there are a lot of things that are similar, but if you've ever seen Neil twice, you know that, number one, you can't absorb it all. And so the second time you see him, it's like, oh, this seems like new information. There is some new all the time, I'll guarantee you, but there's certainly going to be some that maybe repeat that you just didn't remember. And yes, it is February 20th through the 22nd. We talked about after last year where we had horrific blizzard that, you know, maybe we should try to do this in the South sometime, but we have a fantastic facility here where we can host a thousand farmers uh, right on our farm, and it's within 10 miles of a major airport in Sioux Falls. So we're going to have it at the Morton Center again, right at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. So again, it's February 20th through the 22nd, and we'll have more details on our website here within the next uh, maybe week or two. All right. So, Brian, we're talking about soil sampling on today's program. Well, and soil tests, how to read a soil test. And, yeah, I, I, I guess I just had a few things that before we wrap up today I wanted to hit. So I had mentioned earlier in the show, soil pH, that should come first. Make sure you're getting other tests, including like base saturation, sulfur, sodium, um, even something that I mentioned was the excess lime test. And you might say, what the heck is that? You guys don't talk about that very often. Okay. So when we've had Neil Kinsey doing these seminars, we were just talking about that. And one of the situations that we run into from time to time is when you have ridiculously high calcium percentages on your base saturation test. And you look at it and you go, what, I got 95% calcium on the base saturation test? He'll say, okay, he has certain guidelines. And if it's above, I don't remember what the number is, call it 85% calcium. He will want you to run what's called a cation displacement test. So when you're testing the soil, typically these nutrients are going to be sitting on soil colloids. They're going to be, they're going to be attached to the soil somehow, some way, because basically soil is negatively charged and a cation is positively charged, it's going to bind to it, right? So with this cation displacement test, what, what he's contending is that in some soils there is excess lime, is what we call it, and Midwest Labs, for example, runs an excess lime test, where basically there's so much calcium there, it's just free floating in the soil, and it's not attached to the soil. So where I'm going with this is in some cases then you say, well, I got 95% calcium and my CEC is 50. I don't think either of those things is true when we look at the excess lime test and it's medium and especially when it's high. Okay, we want that excess lime test low. So if it's medium or high, you got a problem. You've got calcium just floating out there in the soil. So how do you fix that? 
Um, number one, I'm not saying you have to fix that, but over time you can fix that. We're usually talking about number one, improving the drainage, making sure you have tile not 80 feet apart, but maybe 20 or 25 feet apart, close together. Um, you can do some things like um, we want to do deep tillage, make sure we've gotten the compaction issues taken care of. We want to try to flush some of that calcium out of the soil, and a lot of times you can do that with something like sulfur. So you might want to use ammonium sulfate, elemental sulfur, anything that's got sulfur with it other than gypsum. Gypsum is calcium sulfate, and so just think about this for a second. You go, wait... I'm going to throw more calcium out there. Please don't throw more calcium out there if you already have excess lime. You do not need more calcium. In fact, you need less calcium if you want good calcium availability and you want this stuff to work. So anyway, I'm, I, I know I'm, I kind of got deep in the weeds there uh, on this whole thing, but that is another test that we like seeing run because when we see that, then we go, oh, okay, I know what's happening out in that field. All right, beyond that, when you're taking a look at the soil test, I know it can seem a little daunting, but we do put on classes every year where you can come to the Morton Center for free and we'll teach you how to read a soil test. It's not that difficult. And in my opinion, it's the most important thing you need to know on the farm. It really is because your soil is the most valuable resource other than you that's on the farm. And you want to be able to take advantage of that soil and work with it, work together with it to make it as productive as possible and build the value of that soil over time. If you don't read the soil test, you don't know how to read the soil test, then you're going to miss out. And a lot of soil tests, unfortunately, all people are looking at is N, P, and K. That's it. That's only a fraction of what you need to know. So there's so many other things that tie into all this. And even something as simple as cation exchange capacity, we have to know that number because that's going to tell us the holding capacity of your soil. And it also, when you start asking us questions about your soil, then it's going to change our, our recommendation dramatically if you've got a heavy soil or a light soil. Cation exchange capacity simply is putting a number to heavy or light, okay? Because I've been in Canada where we've had 41 CEC as the heavy soil and 33 as the light sandy soil. No, no kidding. I had a guy come up, yep, here's my soil test of my light sandy soil. And I look at it and I'm like, uh, sir, this is a 33 CEC. That's super heavy ground. Well, it's my light soil. Exactly. We're, what cation exchange capacity does, it, it puts every soil on an even playing field. So now we know what's truly heavy, what's truly light, and we can go from there. So anyway, there's a lot to it when it comes to reading a soil test, but again, we can teach you how to do that in a day. So go to agphd.com, look at our upcoming workshops. We've got a soils clinic coming up. I believe it's in January. Just come here, learn it in one day, and then you're going to have that knowledge for the rest of your life. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.